0: When I was uh, 8 years old, my dad took me on a company fishing trip, and uh, I remember it well because he was the manager in a sales office uh, that sold uh, dictation equipment, and uh, he, back in the 70s and 80s, had a, a very good career with this one company, and so as a reward uh, for his salesmen doing well, he took them on an on overnight fishing trip on the Gulf Coast of Florida. We were living in Orlando at the time, and I remember Dad and I driving over there and meeting um, all of his buddies and co-workers and employees and that sort of thing. And it was my first of many deep-sea fishing trips, uh, kind of growing up in Florida, that Dad and I uh, went on. Dad introduced me to two things. He introduced me to golf, and he introduced me to fishing. Golf stuck. Fishing, not so much. And so uh, he he took us fishing, and I remember that night in particular, I'll just never forget being on the boat that night, and even though I I never really got into the fishing thing, I I love being on the water, absolutely love being around it, love being on the water, I love looking out, and the neat thing is, is when you go out on the water at night, there's so much to see. I I was struck by the stars in the sky, we kind of talked a little bit about that last week, and how bright they were on a clear night. And I remember looking out over the ocean, the Gulf of Mexico there, and remembering how deep and dark the, the water was. Just this, this darkness that was over the water. I remember being surprised by that. And then I remember looking off in the distance, and you could see uh, the, the lightning that would come up from thunderstorms way off in the distance. Man, that's a great sight to see, as long as it's far away. It's a great sight to see. And then I remember, for the first time in my life, on the ocean, on the water, seeing a lighthouse. I'd never seen a lighthouse from the ocean. I'd seen the lighthouse, a lighthouse from land, but I remember that night looking out and seeing a lighthouse and seeing that beam of light that kind of swept across the sea. Then it would come back around and it would hit the sea again. And I kind of grew up uh, looking at lighthouses. And perhaps it's no coincidence that I live on Hilton Head Island where a lighthouse is such an iconic image for our area. Lighthouses have been used really since the Roman Empire. Back in that day and age, they would have a bonfire up on top of a knoll or a hill. And it would help guide a ship to safety or around something that was dangerous or it would bring it into a port. And then in the 18th century, we learned how to magnify Light and lighthouses would carry light not just a few hundred yards off the the coast, but it would carry it 20 and 30 miles off the coast where you could see light. And ships began to use these lighthouses in a deeper way. Some lighthouses guide ships to the safety of a harbor, others will guide them around danger that exists out in the ocean. But there's one thing that's common among all lighthouses. They all have some kind of source of light. Within them is a source of light. Today, it's electrical. Back then, it was driven by oil or some kind of gas. And there's always a source of light in a lighthouse. I love lighthouses. Cynthia and I uh, honeymoon in Newport, Rhode Island and we looked out and there was a lighthouse there right there at Castle Inn at on, on the Castle Inn Hill and it was a lighthouse that shed light over the area and we actually have a picture of those in our house that have been on our walls for the last 17 years. And so lighthouses uh, illuminate the darkness and they do that because inside of them somewhere is the source of light. You know, a lighthouse is interesting because if the light in a lighthouse grows dim, or if it begins to flicker, or if it's covered by something, or if it goes out completely, that lighthouse can actually cause more problems for those ships than it can help those ships. And so a lighthouse that goes out really is a danger to the the ships that exist, and, and it really kind of defeats the purpose of the lighthouse anyway. And so sometimes Lighthouse's light goes out and they become a danger to those ships that are out there. Over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to be discovering what it means to illuminate our world. If you're a Christian in here today, over the course of these next few weeks, we're we're going to learn what that means To light our world. We kind of began talking about that light last week, and we're going to continue that theme over the course of the next few weeks. The the first three weeks of this message series will really be introspective. It'll be a time where we can dig deep within and ask God to pierce our hearts and to prepare to illuminate the world around us, the dark world around us. The next three weeks or the, the last three weeks, we'll discover what, why, and how we can illuminate The world around us. But we have to begin with a premise. And the premise that I want us to begin with this morning is the fact that we, as Christ followers, are supposed to illuminate our world with the light of Christ. If you are a Christian in here today, that's your mission. If you're a part of Hilton Head Island Community Church, that's your mission. Our mission statement is that we uh, passionately share the message of Jesus Christ and lead people to follow him. It's the first part of that message to illuminate a dark world. And that's our mission, and that is what we as Christians are called to do. But unfortunately, too often, Christ followers make the decision, or Christians make the decision, to believe, and then they let their life in Christ just stop there. They believe in Jesus Christ, but that's it. We can't do what God wants us to do by illuminating the world around us unless we've settled in our minds and in our hearts and with our actions and our lives that we are supposed to be followers of him. It's impossible to illuminate our world when our own light within inside of us is dim or covered up, or is beginning to go out. It's impossible for us to be on mission for God until we really settle that in our hearts. There are many of you who have chosen to follow Jesus Christ by saying, I believe in him for my salvation. There are many of you who have said, I believe that Jesus Christ came, that he was sent by God to redeem us from our sins, and in doing so, you are a Christian. You are someone who has come to faith in Christ, but unfortunately, that's where it stops sometimes. And for some of us, if we were on trial for being a Christian, there simply wouldn't be enough evidence in our lives to convict us. You see, there are many who believe and then they just stop there, but it's one thing to believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, but it's quite another to make the decision to follow Him with our lives. And that leads me to the key point this morning. You can take a look at it in your notes. If you have your notes when you walked in, you were given some notes there. The key point this morning is that we ignite our ability to illuminate the world around us when we choose to believe in and follow Jesus Christ. We ignite our ability to illuminate the world around us when we choose to believe and follow Jesus Christ. Now let me uh, make a distinction here this morning. I want you to hear me very clearly on this. If you've come to the point in your life, whether it was a week ago, a day ago, or 20 years ago, If you've come to the point in your life where you've said yes to Jesus Christ, where you've said, I believe and I put my trust in him for salvation, I believe that God sent Jesus to die for me and I'm putting my faith in that, you are saved. You are a believer in Jesus Christ. And you can be assured that you have salvation with him when you die. There's nothing that should change that message. There's no next step when it comes to eternal life with God in heaven one day. There's no Jesus plus something else. So I want to make sure that you understand that first and foremost, that what we're talking about today has nothing to do with salvation. It has to do with how you operate while you're here on earth. Believe and follow Jesus Christ. And quite honestly, it's where most Christians stop. They get their eternal life insurance. They're assured of their salvation. They know where they're going when they die. But they go on to regular life after that. And it's the regular life part that I want to talk to you about today. It's how you live your life once you've said yes to putting your faith in Jesus Christ. And as Christ followers, we have to understand that there's believing and there's following. You know, back in the first century and back when Jesus was on earth, uh, Christians, people who came to faith in Jesus Christ, they, they kind of understood this concept that one kind of goes with the other. There was believe and there was following, but we've kind of lost sight of that in our modern age. But I want us to get back to that point. And so today, what I want us to realize, if there's, there's two parts. There's believing in Jesus as your Savior, and there's following. And so I want you to say it with me. Believe and follow. Are you ready? All right, ready? Put the emphasis on the and when we do this. Okay, ready? Believe and follow. Okay, you guys beat the 930 crowd by a mile. Okay, I'm just saying. Don't tell them that, but you beat them by a mile. We had to do that like four times. It was partly my fault. But anyway, there is there's a difference between believing and following. And what I, want us to, what I want to call us to do today is to discover what it means to truly be a follower of Jesus Christ. Because if we can't do that, we have no hope of sharing that with our world. Believing and following. Belief is a result of Christ pursuing us. Following is a result of us pursuing Christ. Do you see the difference there? You see, believing is accepting the gift that God has given us. The other is pursuing the gift giver, the one who gave us eternal life. One of the greatest things that you'll ever have, the greatest thing that you'll ever have, is the hope of eternal life, and it costs you nothing. Following Jesus will cost you something. It just will. It will cost you something. One is easy, One is just a decision that's to be made, the other is an ongoing decision that takes daily discipline. Becoming a believer in Jesus ensures that you will have a perfect and eternal life with him in heaven when you die. Becoming a follower of Jesus ensures that you will face opposition, conflict, and pain in life. Aren't I making you happy today? But here's the problem, so many churches, so many pastors, so so many people in the Christian community say, accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, and everything's going to be awesome. And that's just a lie, isn't it? It's just a lie. Yes, you'll have eternal life. Yes, you have the power of God that you can tap into in your life to help you through life on earth. But, but there's, there cost something for those of us who say, I want to truly be a follower of Jesus Christ, not just a believer. There's a distinction between the two. But what does it mean? Well, take a look at your notes. Let's try to answer that question. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 4. We're going to be in several different passages beginning in Matthew 4, 4 Matthew chapter 4. Following Jesus means you willingly, first of all, choose to give every part of of your life to Jesus. Choosing to give, uh, uh, being a follower means that you willingly choose to give every part of your life to Jesus Christ. Now, I I realize that once you believe in him, you're giving a part of your life to him. You're giving that part that you trust him for eternal life. And and I understand that and I get that. But, But what following means is it means that you give up everything to follow him. I think to best understand that, we need to take a look at what happened when Jesus was pulling his disciples near him. He, he, he made his way up to the Sea of Galilee before his ministry started. And he went up to Galilee, and the Bible tells us that he began to have people that were following him, just like rabbis did in that day and age. There were different rabbis in the Jewish community, and they would have followers. And so we see in Matthew 4, Jesus beginning to gather some of his followers around him. Take a look at Matthew 4. 18 through 22. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he had two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, we'll call him Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. Can you tell I'm not a fisherman? I'm not even going to try to uh, do that. Okay, for they were casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. Verse 19, he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Take a look at verse 20. Immediately, say it with me, immediately, They left their nets and followed him. Verse 20, and going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, say it with me, immediately, verse 22, they left the boat and their father, poor old Zebedee, man, he's left in the boat by himself, mending those nets, and they followed Jesus. Now, we, we have two different sets of brothers, but that wasn't the only thing that they had in common. These, these were fishermen. Now, one thing that we uh, may not understand is that in that day and age around Galilee, these were very successful fishermen. They, they had a lot of worldly kind of acclaim. In fact, uh, there's some indications that James and John were potentially going to have their business, the business that their father had started handed to them. And so James and John and Andrew and Peter, they didn't come out of desperate circumstances. They weren't the type of people who we kind of think of who were outcasts and down and out. They didn't come from desperation. And we sometimes have this idea that there was Jesus back in his day and he had all these followers and all these followers came out of desperate circumstances. And there were those who came out of desperate circumstances for sure. But these four men that Jesus begins to talk about here in Matthew 4, they came out of good circumstances. They kind of had life by the tail. They were kind of on top of things. Things were going well. And I think what that proves, and that's kind of an underlying distinction that we need to make, and what it proves is is that it it takes a clear, conscious decision to be a true follower of Jesus Christ. these, These men weren't hopeless. They weren't helpless, and they made a choice to be followers of Jesus Christ. There's another one that made a choice. In fact, it's the one who's writing from this book that we're reading from today. His name's Matthew, and he writes about himself in Matthew 9. As Jesus passed on from there in Matthew 9 9, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. H&R Block, right? He's in Walmart, and he's sitting by his tax booth at H&R Block. Okay, no, I'm just kidding. And he said to them, follow me. And he rose, and he followed him. Now, if you have ever heard uh, it described, tax collectors in that day and age were very wealthy people, sometimes because of unethical business practices. And Matthew chose to leave that and follow Jesus. Again, under, uh, again underlying the fact that It is a choice to follow Jesus Christ. We have this idea when we see someone who is zealous about their faith. We kind of have this idea that they came from a desperate situation. And I want you to hear that. It's not necessarily true. Maybe it is true. I mean, we all come from some kind of desperation because we have no hope without Jesus. But the point is, is that there is a conscious choice to follow Jesus that we make at some point in time. After we believe. I love how Matthew paints this picture. And we emphasize it as we read it. He says that these men immediately chose to follow Jesus. They weren't in some kind of uh, 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 trance, unconscious trance. They didn't just get up and close their eyes like zombies and follow Jesus who called to them. They made a clear life decision to follow after Christ. And I love the word picture because what Matthew says is he said they had their nets they were in the middle of casting their nets James or uh, Andrew and Peter were and it says that they dropped their nets. And it says that James and his brother John along with their dad Zebedee had the nets and they were mending those fishing nets and they dropped their nets and they followed Jesus Christ hear me this morning, when they made the decision to drop what they were holding in their hands, they made the decision to drop their future, to drop their source of income, to drop their family connection, to drop the security that was so ingrained in them that their dad and their business would take care of them. And they opened up their palms and they let what was in it fall to the ground so that they could follow Jesus. What do you have in your life that you're grasping onto with both hands, that you just are having a hard time letting go? These men that Jesus called to follow him gave up every part of their life to follow him. And when we can't make the decision to give up every part of our life to follow him, we have no hope of illuminating our world. You see, some of you have given up your trust. You say, yeah, I, I trust you for my salvation, but, but that's it. I, I don't want to give you up any, I don't want to give up anything else. And so when, when God asks you to give up your career to do something different, you hold on to that. When following Jesus means giving up on a social life that doesn't quite jive with what his word says, you're hanging on to that with tight fists. Following Jesus means letting that go. Students, it means when your friends are ridiculing you because you're becoming a follower of Jesus Christ, and they're asking you maybe to do things that you know that God tells you is not the best for your life. Being a true follower means you let that go. And you know what? Maybe you have to give up that friendship to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Some of you have said, Yeah, well, listen, I, I've given them my trust and I've given my faith and my job and my kids and my friends, my social life, but I don't want to give them my thought life. It's not really being a follower until you do. I I don't want to give him those things that I hold on to so dearly. I don't want to give him my addictions and the things that I seek out for pain because that gives me temporary comfort. Jesus says, let them go. Let that drop to the ground because he's the one that can fill that need in your life. Hey, I want you to hear, hear me on this. I struggle with this every day of my life. I wake up every morning hanging on to something that I shouldn't be. And so if you're a Christian in here, there are times when every day you have to wake up and look at what you're holding on to and say, I'm going to drop that right here on the ground, and I'm going to choose today to follow Jesus Christ. That's a step closer to really illuminating your world. I've given you a couple ideas there in your notes, and there's a blank. What is it that you're holding on to? What is that one or two or three things that, man, you're just holding back? You're like, I'll give him all this, but I just don't want to give him this. What is it that you need to open up your hands and let drop on the ground and give to God? Well, following Jesus means you willingly choose to give every part of your life to Jesus. But, you know, it's not just a them thing. This wasn't just good for the disciples back when Jesus was on earth. This is good for us right now. We need to make it personal. This is is a decision that we all, that we have to make, that we as a church have to make, that I have to make, that you have to make. You have to choose whether or not you're going to be a true follower of him. And some of you have come to faith intellectually. You investigated scripture and you came to faith just like maybe Lee Strobel or Chuck Colson did. And you said, you know, I understand that God loves me and I understand that he gave up his son and I believe in him. But for some of you, it just has stopped there. And unfortunately, your heart, maybe over a period of time, has grown cold to his leading in your life. Take a look at the second point. Following Jesus means that you willingly allow your heart to be shaped by Jesus. You willingly allow your heart to be shaped by Jesus. I want you to hear something. We can't illuminate our world with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ if our own heart is hard to his change in our lives. We can't do it. We can't tell others about the life-changing power of Jesus Christ if we ourselves are not willing and able and ready to be shaped by him. When I got out of college, Cynthia and I got married three weeks later, and we moved to South Florida, and I began interviewing for jobs. It was 1995, a long time ago, and I interviewed for several jobs. I interviewed for a job that I would be selling uh, ads to radio stations, a a company that sold software around the world. I interviewed with a company that um, sold long-distance phone cards. I remember that day and age, and I interviewed with a company that sold paper and paper products. I was this close to a decision to be on a career path that would have led me down the path to being Dwight Schrute from the office, okay? <laughs> but then I got a job with a company where I sold telephone systems and I really enjoyed that job and it was a good job and uh, I, I had some success. I had a lot of failure but I had some success. And as I got to know that business and the telephone system I, I kind of had a crisis moment when um, I began looking at other phone systems and that sort of thing and I began to ask myself the question, is the the product that I'm selling really the best one out there? I mean, I I can't go into these businesses and sell them something that I don't believe in. And so I really began investigating the competition, kind of came to the conclusion that for what I was doing and who I was selling to, it was the best thing out there. But you know, we we have that same kind of uh, moral dilemma as Christ followers if God's not changing us on the inside. We can't tell the world if our hearts are like stone. We can't tell the world that God can change and shape and mold us into his image if we aren't willing to be shaped and molded ourselves. The prophet Ezekiel spoke on behalf of God and talked about this. So did Paul in Romans 10. Paul in Romans 10 says this, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, believe in your heart, like down at the core of who you are, I believe this life-changing message of Jesus Christ. If you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. And then Ezekiel says this. He says this about the nation of Israel. God says it on behalf, uh, on, on, uh, or Ezekiel says it on God's behalf. He says this, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put within you, I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of what? Flesh. I don't know about you, but if you, if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, God's going to work on your heart. He's going to work on your heart. He's going to try to make you into his image. And he's going to do everything he can to try to make your heart into his. And I've had moments in my life where he pulled out the chisel and the hammer and he began working on my heart. And it's not a lot of fun, is it? Because I was cold and hard hearted towards his leading in my life. Ezekiel says that he will take that heart of stone and he will give you a heart of Of flesh, one that can be molded and made and crafted into the image of God. You see, when we allow God to change our hearts, then we're true followers, not simply believers. That's when we become true followers. What does that mean? It means that God may call some of you to a different business practice than you've been doing for years. Maybe it's blatantly unethical and immoral, or maybe it's borderline unethical or immoral. And God's called you to do something different in your business. And man, if that heart is there, God's going to work on you, He's going to work on you, and He's going to work on you, and it's going to be painful. But it says, the Bible says, He can give you a heart of flesh. Which one would you rather choose? Would you rather have Him work on this hard heart and have it be painful and painstaking, or would you rather have a soft heart? For some of you, it means choosing to deny what your friends and your neighbors and those people around you are asking you to do. Man, peer pressure doesn't stop in middle school, does it, adults? It doesn't. Cynthia and I have said many times, eighth grade continues well into adulthood. And sometimes your friends and your neighbors and even those people you love will ask you to do things that you know, that you know, that you know from God's word is not the best for your life and the life of your family. Which one are you going to choose? Are you going to have a hard heart or are you going to allow God to work on your heart? Again, this is something I have to do every day. I have to choose not to have a hard heart. And I have to choose to allow God to mold me and make me into his image. Lastly, following Jesus means you willingly live out your commitment to Jesus regardless of what it costs you. Following Jesus means you willingly live out your commitment to Jesus regardless of what it costs you. It costs the first Christians so much. In many cases, it costs them their lives. In many cases, it costs them their future. What are you willing to do for Jesus, and where do you draw the line? You see, being a true follower says you don't draw the line. Being a true follower, a committed follower of Jesus means there is no line. Jesus talked about this in Luke, and he probably shocked, actually he did shock his followers in this passage. Take a look at Luke 9, 21 through 24. Jesus was talking to his closest followers, and, and the, uh, Luke says here, and he strictly charged them and commanded them to tell this to no one. Verse 22, he says this, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Now, get this picture. These are his closest followers We've just said that they've left everything to follow him. And into this, a few months or a few years, we're not really sure here, Jesus says, oh, hey, guys, by the way, I'm going to be arrested. All of the religious leaders are going to deny that they even know me. They're going to charge me with all these crimes, and I'm going to be killed. Can you imagine James and John and Peter and Andrew and Matthew? We left good careers for you, Jesus. Really? Really? This is what you're going to do to us? You're going to leave us? And you're going to die? And you're going to leave us out here to fend for ourselves? But then Jesus kind of takes it up a notch and he says, yeah, and as a matter of fact, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to be followers of me, you're going to have to get in line with what I'm doing. And that means that we sacrifice. That means that at some point in time, there's going to be a day of reckoning where we have to give up something of us to be followers of Jesus Christ. You know, it's pretty safe in our modern culture for Christians, especially in this country. It just is. But if you take a look at the history of Christianity, the last 70 years or so has really only been the safe period of time, and I wonder if that day is quickly, quickly fading away us. There may be a time when you have to give up what you've done in the past. There may be a time that you have to give up your previous religious upbringing to follow Jesus Christ. There might be a time when you have to give up what your family tradition is to follow Jesus Christ. And when you do that, when you give up something, you really truly become followers of him. Maybe it's not your life. I'm sure it probably won't be your life. But maybe it's your rights. Maybe it's those things you cling on to and hold on to with all your might. Sometimes being a follower of Jesus Christ means that you are committed to him regardless of what other people say and regardless of how they respond to you being a follower of Christ. Are you simply a believer? Are you truly a follower of his. There was a lighthouse keeper, story of a lighthouse keeper. He kept a lighthouse along a dangerous coast and he was given enough oil for that lighthouse for one month to keep that light burning in that lighthouse. Well, one day a woman asked for some oil so that her children could stay warm. The lighthouse keeper gladly gave it to her. The farmer came, a farmer came and he needed some oil for a lamp so he could study and the lighthouse keeper gladly gave it up. Still another farmer needed some oil for a tractor and for his field so that they could be plowed and he could feed his family. And the keeper saw each of these worthy needs and he measured out just enough oil to satisfy all of those needs. But near the end of the month, what happened? The tank in that lighthouse went out. And the light grew dim. And that night, the beacon went dark. And three ships crashed upon the rocks and more than a hundred sailors lost their lives. When a government official investigated, the man explained what he had done and why you were given one task and one task alone, they told him. It was to keep the light burning. Everything else was secondary. Everything else didn't matter. You were supposed to keep the light burning. If you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, that's your job. That's where it starts. That's how you illuminate your world. That's the igniting of your life in Christ is to dig deep and to search within and find out, am I simply a believer or am I truly a follower of Christ? I'm going to ask you each to answer that question here in these next few moments. Father God, thank you for what you did on the cross. Thank you, God, for the sacrifice that you made. Oh, there's nothing that can compare to that. You died so that we could have life in heaven one day. And Father, we're so grateful for that. But God, today I I pray for those who are in here and that light is growing dim. Maybe it has been for years. Maybe they've allowed the comfort of this world and the things of life to kind of crowd that out and to let that light grow dim. And Father, I pray for those who are in here today and they need to have that ignition happen in their life again. They need a renewed commitment. They need to say, today I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to recommit to Jesus Christ. Oh, They've given their life to you years ago in terms of believing you for salvation. But they're not really followers. And I pray for those who are in here today who need to recommit their life to you and become followers once again. If you're in here today and you say, Todd, just like James and John were holding on to those nets and Andrew and Peter like they were holding on, I got white knuckles because I'm holding on to something that I really don't want to give to God. If you're in here today and you need to let go of something in your life to follow him, just in the quietness of this place with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand so I can pray for you. Amen. 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 And if you're in here today and you say, Todd, man, my heart has become stone over these past years and months. And and I need God to take that heart of stone and replace it with that flesh. If you're in here today and you say, man, I'm in that category, just raise your hand. I want to pray for you as well. Amen. Amen. Anyone else? If you're in here today and you've never asked Jesus to be your Savior and you want to say yes to putting your faith in Him today. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. Amen. amen, amen. Any others in here today who want to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior? If you want to put your faith and your trust in Jesus, I'm going to pray a prayer and I'm just going to ask you just to pray it along silently in your heart with me. There's nothing magical in these words at all. It all has to do with your heart and the condition of your heart. It's a prayer that goes like this. God, thank you for loving me and thank you for sending Jesus to the cross to die for my sins. Today, I confess of my sins and I ask you, Jesus, to be my Savior. Help me to turn from the old way of living and to live for you. If you prayed that prayer along with me, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand once again this morning. Thank you, thank you. Father, thank you for those who have accepted you as their Savior. Thank you for those who said yes to believing in you, and I pray that you would help them just to anchor their faith in you and your word. And Father, I, help, I pray for those Christ followers who are in here, those Christians who are in here, who said, man, I need, I need a new heart. I need a flesh heart, one that God can shape and mold and one that he can make me into his image. And Father, I pray that you would take that old stone heart out and that you would give them a heart of flesh. And Father, I pray for those who raised their hand and said, man, there is something that I'm hanging on to. I haven't truly given Jesus every part of my life. Father, I pray for those who raised their hand and I pray that you would allow them to have the courage to let go, to give you every part of their life. And help all of us, Father, as we investigate internally, as we get introspective, help us to look within so that one day we can illuminate our world. Help us, Father God, in the strong name of Jesus, to be children of your light. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.